God to Thee. Oh, how great Thou art! How great Thou art! When through the woods and forest glades I wander. Savior God to Thee, 
how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Amen. We just want to welcome you this evening. Let's put it in the key of G. We'll uh, speed it up here uh, just a little bit. Let's sing this song, uh, Thank God I Am Free. So thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm safe, safe, safe by His wonderful grace. Oh, I'm so glad that I found out that He could bring me out and show me the way. For a long time I traveled down a long lonely so heavy in sin I sank low then I heard about Jesus what a wonderful hour oh I'm so glad that I found out he could bring me out through his saving power God, I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. Oh, I'm so glad that I out. He could bring me out and show me the way. Like a bird out of prison that's taken its flight. Like a blind man that God oh, gave back his sight. Like a poor wretched beggar That's found fortune and fame Oh, I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out Through His holy name So thank God I am free, free, free From this world of sin I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. Oh, I'm so glad that I found out that He could bring me out and show me the way. Oh, and I thank God. From this world of sin I've been washed in the blood of Jesus I've been born again 
by His wonderful grace. Oh, I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out and show me the way. Hallelujah. Oh, now, hallelujah, I'm safe, safe, safe by His wonderful grace. Oh, I'm so glad that I found out he could bring me out and show me the way. Amen. Let's uh, keep it in the same key there, and uh, we'll go ahead and change the order of our service. Uh, I know we sang this song on Sunday, but uh, it still rings true today that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. So because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, all fears several prayer requests here that I just uh, want to go over and if I could uh, just have Brother Jeremy uh, come up and pray over these once I finish. Uh, we just want to remember uh, Brother John Cockman and family who are not able to be with us uh, this evening so we just want to remember them. Also uh, I have here that uh, Sister Rachel Coffey has a dental procedure uh, coming up so we just want to uh, remember her in prayer for that. Also, I have here that uh, Sister Christy Williams is not with us. Uh, she's in the hospital, so if we could just remember her in prayer. And uh, we have several who are just away that they're not with us. Uh, Brother Troy and Sister Connie are away. Uh, we just want to remember them. And the McCafferty's are traveling today as well. Uh, so we just want to remember them that the Lord would just provide them safe traveling mercies, as well as uh, Brother Cl Chris Clayville, who is in Arizona. And uh, also, Brother Andy Irish is not with us this evening as well. So uh, we just want to remember them. And uh, I just uh, want to ask that you all just remember myself and my work. 
with uh, everything going on uh, every day is very stressful and uh, my managers are very stressed as we all know I'm sure in our own jobs so if you would just remember us in prayer and I know we all have unspoken prayer requests so just by the lifting of your hands the Lord knows those needs so if you would just stand with me and uh, brother Jeremy if you would just come at this time As we pray, uh, if you just also remember my sister Emily and her husband. Uh, Emily's in the hospital this evening uh, in labor with her first child. That's particularly difficult labor, so if we could just remember them in prayer, I'd appreciate that. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, Father. We're just thankful for this opportunity once again, Lord, to just set, a, set aside this time, Lord, to uh, come and think on you, Lord, to worship you, to lift you up, Lord. Father, we lay these needs before you, Lord, trusting that, Lord, your perfect will be done. Those that are sick, those that are in the hospital, Lord, we pray that you would be with them, give them strength and comfort, Lord. Father, for those traveling that cannot be here, we ask your angels be around them and keep them safe. And Father, Lord, most of all, we've come for one purpose, and that's to hear from you, Lord. So as we just turn our thoughts to you, Lord. We lift you up. We pray that you would draw close to us as your servant has studied, Lord, and sought your mind. We just pray, God, that he would be a tool in your hands, Lord, and that you would speak to us, Father. Speak to the needs, Lord. You know each one, those that have been spoken, those, Lord, that have been lifted up uh, with a raised hand, even those listening by way of stream, Lord. We pray, God, that you would just minister to each one, we love you, we give you thanks, and we look forward to what you have for us this evening. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats. We'll keep it in the same key here, and we'll sing an older song this evening, I believe, in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. Oh, I believe whatever. Yeah, now. 
Let's sing the song, Fill My Cup, Lord, same key. So fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, so come and quench this thirsting of my soul. service now if the ushers could come forward at this time and as we sing that uh, let's just sing the song uh, he touched me oh he touched me oh he touched me and oh the joy that floods my soul and something happened and now I know he touched me and Just pray for the tithes and offering. Let's just sing the song as uh, Brother Barry comes this evening, I will serve thee. So I will serve thee because I love thee, you have given life to me, 
bless you. Welcome to the house of the Lord and welcome back, Brother Barry. It's nice to be back. Uh, I uh, always miss it when we're not here and uh, I don't look for opportunities to be gone. Uh, so I appreciate all of you coming tonight and being here and you all look, you all look real good to me and even, even Joe and Lincoln up here in the front. Uh, let me just do a couple of quick things. So if you will, bring up my PowerPoint here, and um, I just want to show you a couple of uh, items here before we begin, and then we'll look in the Word. 
Now, if you read your update today, uh, I have been a little bit uh, slow in putting information up about Ukraine. Uh, but I just want to say this tonight publicly because there's lots of people who stream and like to pick up uh, some of the current information. Uh, the war in Ukraine is not over, and uh, the struggle that the believers are going through is not over, not by a long shot. The people who are still in there, and we estimate somewhere between, and this is really, really hard to do because everyone is shifting and moving around, and it's really, really hard to get an accurate count, but we think there's roughly about three to 500 people who are still left in uh, the main body of Ukraine, not counting the eastern portion like in Donetsk, uh, where Brother Ryabov is from, uh, they're kind of under Russian control and have been for a number of years. So in the main part of Ukraine, those people are still there moving around. Uh, they're experiencing real, uh, real hardship. Uh, for instance, you think it's bad to pay $4 and such for a gallon of gas. They pay about 18 18 per gallon. And so as a result, most, most people don't drive. They have to take buses and trains. Well, it just so happens that trains are targets for the Russian Air Force and the Russian uh, bombing campaigns because that's the supply lines. And so it's a risky business to get on a train these days, and it's a risky business to be in a public transport. So it's, it's very difficult for them. Many believers who have left, and they are in places like uh, Poland and in uh, Romania, in Germany and in uh, Norway, uh, in the European sector, uh, those believers are out. But what I'm hearing is that uh, even though they're safe from the war, the reality has set in where they're now in a strange place with a strange language, normally without work, and they're dependent on local churches or government agencies or non-government agencies. Uh, they don't have any relatives close by, and the biggest stumbling block is that they don't have anyone who speaks their language around them. And so it may sound great for them to be able to come from a country like Ukraine to a country like Norway, uh, and everything is clean and nice and peaceful, boring, not, not boring in a bad way, but, I mean, it's, it's, uh, Norway kind of moves at a very consistent pace. Uh, it is, uh, they're finding it very difficult and so many of them are longing to go back to Ukraine when the doors open back into that country. And as a result of that, when they go back, if you, I've seen some of the pictures of these towns where these believers have lived, and there's nothing there, not even, there's nothing visible or recognizable in those places where cities were. And so uh, it's, it's going to be a long-term affair uh, in the support that we have uh, been giving them and, and other believers have contributed so, uh, you know, it's an ongoing thing. But I don't, I, just because I, I don't always mention that, uh, it, it, it truly is a, a real burden for the people over there. Now, I put this in the update, and Brother Ryabov, uh, who I know very well and uh, just met him a couple of months ago there when I was over there, uh, he is a, uh, like the pastor of Donetsk. Uh, he, those are the, this is the church where we help the 38 people go at $1,000 apiece and get out of the country. And uh, he still has 80 people or so in his church because he's such a respected man of God and people have a lot of confidence in him that when he preaches, there are people all over the Russian-speaking world who listen to him. So he has hundreds of people who stream uh, into his services because he's just such a, a gracious, humble person. And uh, I love Brother uh, Rebov. And, and he wrote me last night 
And he said, I'd like to give you a brief summary of our situation and circumstances. And right now, there are 80 believers in our church, six children whose parents are not yet ready to leave. And the rest of the families with children have left along with some brothers for whom it was unsafe to be in town. They extended that law for 90 days that said that any male who shows up on the street can be drafted and forced uh, to go into the army on both sides of the conflict. We hold church services regularly on Wednesdays and Sundays. Uh, and because public transportation is unpredictable in the evenings, uh, constant fightings around the city, we continually hear shooting and explosions. Some believers live near areas of battles, and some have been staying in the tabernacle. Our sister's house was hit. I don't know who that sister is, causing some destruction, but we have not been able to inspect the damage because it's very dangerous. She lives in the church now, and all is well. Uh, We gather together, see and understand the fulfillment of Scripture uh, and prophecies in Scripture and the message. And we are greatly thankful to the Lord that the Word is already in our hearts And with it, nothing can do any harm to our souls. That's a great testimony. In the midst of this chaos and the world falling apart, we are already looking beyond the curtain, expecting the full redemption. I wonder, is that how we all have to get? I just just thinking out loud. I wonder, is that how we'll all have to be, that we're already looking out out of the chaos and imagining what it would be like in the world uh, to come? expecting the full redemption, which is a change of our body, and so there is no fear. And certainly, if it, if, if it becomes too bad, all of us may need to relocate, but as far as for now, we're all here. Brother Barry, thank you very much for your financial support. Without it, I do not know how we would survive. You have rescued many families, and they are safe now, me and others. And the Lord is taking care of them. We live close by believers, no matter what country. And some of them you will meet at Brother Johansson's church in Norway. We're going to be going to Norway. Several Ukrainian refugees are coming there to meet us when we go. Thank you, Brother Barry. Brother Sergey has notified me that you've he already transferred another portion of funds. And we did put funds back in his church treasury so he'd have some in reserve in case we couldn't get money into there. And today the brother will bring it. Brother Sergey has the details and greetings to all believers. And thank you from all of us, all the brother, brotherly love and involvement in the needs of the saints, respectfully, Brother Vladimir. And uh, I, just, I just appreciate him very much. I got a whole bunch of other uh, things that are, that are from Ukraine, and I, I, I just wanted to show that little uh, portion of it for you. And I just wanted to share this. This is on our now uh, available for you to see on our website. This is just a little... Uh, shot. You remember several, a uh, couple of years ago, some of the evangelists went into Loliando, which is where the Maasai people live, and uh, they uh, they had a meeting because there's a brother over there who's a believer who works in the local government and and got permission to use a classroom off hours to have a little Bible study. And there was no church over there, no believers. But he was the only one there. And he rented the room and got uh, uh, you know, some flyers out and invited people to come to this meeting. It was about two years ago. And I put some pictures up there, and they were in the classroom. And uh, so some of the people came out of curiosity. And you remember one or two were baptized. And then two or three more were baptized. A couple of months later, three or four or five were baptized. And there was a, a growing church that's, that was there. They've still been meeting in that classroom until now. 
And they applied to the local, this is how they do it over there, they applied to the local council, and the council uh, allots portions of vacant land like that to people who ask for to have a need. You have to demonstrate a need, which is not hard. And so the council gave them permission to build on the land. Brother Elias conveyed that need to me, and so now uh, they're in their, that's the, they're finishing off uh, the church here and the roof, and uh, they're inside now and holding services, all for the grand total of $600. And so now they're having a church, and now they want us to go over and dedicate it. And I said, I got a bunch of people who want to go and uh, help dedicate that church. I would, to me, I, I would love to be in that church. I, I, I just love to go and, and worship with them. And I'll tell you what, uh, they would be great singers, and uh, you would you would really uh, you would really be blessed in going over there. So. Uh, they are very, very thankful, and they wanted me to convey uh, thanks to all of you and, uh, and uh, just express how thankful they are uh, to be able to have their own place now. And uh, that's just something that has sprung up because uh, the evangelists over there, the missionaries, uh, were unable to travel. I had no funds for a number of years until I found out about it. And then monthly, uh, there's an amount of money that goes, and they uh, travel and go out every week. And uh, they found this group, and now it's, a, now it's a, a thriving, growing church, and that's just a wonderful thing. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing that little chorus, Let Go and Let God Have His Wonderful Way. We'll turn directly to the Word tonight. Let go and let God have His wonderful way. Let go and let God have His way. Your song God have His way. One more time now. Make it your prayer tonight. Oh, let go and let God have His wonderful way. Just let go and let God have Your sorrows will vanish, your night turn today. So just let go and let God have His way. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for who you are to us. We want to let go and let you have your way. Lord, as a pastor, I stand here tonight, Lord, in this office that you have called me to and ask, O oh God, that you would just bring every spirit under your control, Lord. And may you just have complete free reign among us. Lord, may nothing hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, the inspiration of the Word of God, may it find good ground. I commit the people and their needs to you, Lord. What we do not know, teach us. What we do not see, show us. What we do not understand, Lord, clarify it for us. 
What we do not have, I pray you'd give us. And Lord, what we do not hear, I pray you'd speak louder. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take your Bible, if you will, and let's go uh, to the book of uh, Psalms 105. We'll begin there. Uh, I didn't explain this to uh, Mitchell. Sister Rachel Coffey had a dental procedure already done this afternoon, and so she's recovering uh, this afternoon. We have a lot of grace for people who are going through dental procedures. We have a lot of graduates who are graduating this uh, season, this week, and we congratulate all of them and their accomplishment and lots of hard work. And uh, we'll, Lord willing, we'll take time to honor those on, uh, on the weekend. And I want to say this, too, just before we read. This Saturday is my 65th birthday. 65 years, traditionally, in society, means that somebody retires. I want you to know that I'm here to break tradition. And I have no plans to retire. That may be good news to some. Maybe not to all. But uh, sometimes, you know, we joke about that and, you know, that's natural. But I, I need you to understand. And I, I was joking with somebody, some couple of our young people, and they had this panic look on their face. And I thought, wow, that's nice. That's actually nice. And I, I'm kind of, I was touched by that reaction. But I will tell you this, that I... Uh, being being a person who's called, and when you're called, it's not the same as being, uh, you know, choosing a career path. Then my uh, boss deals with us a little bit differently than how we would in a normal uh, normal occupation. And I wait to hear from him. And so tradition matters nothing. And I don't want you to think, well, you know, Brother Barry, 65, some Sunday we're going to come and just going to be a, a cardboard cutout here uh, in the pulpit that, Lord willing, that will not happen. Psalm 105, <clears throat> very familiar passage of Scripture here. And this is uh, David in his recall of the uh, great things that God done over the years of the children of Israel. And he talks about uh, in uh, verse 15, 16, 17, 18 here, he talks about Joseph and his, his time of prison. And uh, then in verse 20 it says, The king sent him, sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. And this was uh, Joseph coming out of the prison. And he made him, Pharaoh made Joseph lord of his house and ruler of all of his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure, and teaches senators wisdom. And Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he increased his people, God increased his people greatly, and made them stronger than their enemies. Now look at verse 22, 23 again. Israel also, and this was Jacob, when he knew that Joseph was alive and they were going down to Egypt to live, Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. May God add his blessing, you may be seated. There are some things in life that I love, some things I love more than others. One of the things I will tell you that I really love is when God lays something in my heart so clear, I don't even go looking for anything else. I don't consider anything else. And this is one of those things that 
God has done for me this week and over last week, and I guess, you know, relaxing a little bit and, and uh, just began, you know, in reading the, the Bible and reading the Scriptures, and this thought came to me, and I, I, I want to uh, begin to develop this thought as, in the way that God has given me. And uh, so have your Bible handy because we're going to look at a principle first and then we're going to apply it. And Lord willing, we'll be able to apply this in a number of different, uh, number of different places. Now, <clears throat> we, um, we often refer to the first exodus and uh, as a, uh, you know, a type or uh, a, a, an example, a teaching, a, a, an experience that the children of Israel had of uh, being in a place and going into Egypt and spending all of these years there because God said they would. He told Abraham they would. But because the promise was given, God promised to take Israel out of the, out of, uh, that, uh, land that they didn't belong in, in Egypt, and bring them back into the promised land. Now, as I told you before, that God will, uh, promise something, and God will execute something, uh, in His mind, He already sees it, He already knows what's going on, He already knows how it's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, and, uh, He'll give us the promise of a certain thing, but He doesn't always tell us what the process is gonna be like. Right? A lot of you have commented on, on the fact when I mentioned that, that uh, God, God gives us promises. He illuminates the promises. He kind of, uh, you know, uh, reminds us of them over and over again. He rehearses them. They're all in neon lights. But he does not say how this promise is actually going to come to pass. He does not always say that this is how it's going to be. And uh, it, there's, a, there's definitely a, a reasoning behind that that God has. But uh, in this promise that God gave to Abraham, he said, Your seed will sojourn in a land for 400 years, and I will send a strong, mighty hand to deliver you. Well, you know, Israel had no idea that that involved taskmasters. They had no idea that that involved 40 years of wandering in the wilderness eating manna. They had no idea of all the other uh, obstacles and things that they would run into uh, in the execution of that promise. You're, you're with me, right? And so the, uh, the, the story of Israel leaving Egypt is a great teaching tool for us because all of these things that happened back there happened for our example. They happened for our admonition. And so I want to draw from that uh, tonight and this principle of how that uh, God repeatedly told Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, think for a minute, though, about your current state. And with the promises that we have, we know that we are born... Uh, with a seed incorruptible of the word of, of the word of God, right? If you're born again, you're born because there's a seed of God laying in you that's incorruptible. And seeds, as we know, don't need, uh, they don't need instruction. They're not going to change their nature halfway through the growth process. If you start with a seed of a watermelon, you're going to have watermelons at the end if there's an uninterrupted growth process, right? And so we think, okay, because we are born in sin, had to be born again, if we're born again, then all we really need to do is kind of be passive observers of this uh, Christ in us growing and becoming what God predestinated us to be. It would seem logical in a sense that, you know, it's all going to happen automatically, just like, you know, you put the uh, potato seed, the seed potato down in your uh, garden and, uh, you know, you get potato plants after a while. It's automatic. You don't need to, you don't need to pray that it happens and you don't need to instruct it how to do it. It's, it's in a sense, it's very automatic. So when we think of seeds, sometimes we think, well, if I'm born again, then something automatically is going to take place in my life that's going to produce what God sowed in my life. And it's going to become that. 
Well, let me show you what Brother Branham said, and we'll find this in many places. He said, if a man's born of the Spirit of God, it's automatically he lives the life. There it is. Now, there's all kinds of statements like this. I pared down my statements, and I made them larger print, fewer words, so that uh, you could go back and read the whole thing. Uh, but I, I don't want to focus a lot on reading a lot here. I just want to give you the highlights. And if a man's born of the Spirit of God, it's automatically he lives the life. And as I said the other night, drinking, smoking, gambling, dr- uh, cursing, swearing, that's not sin. Those are attributes of sin. It's because you are a sinner the reason these things come forth. But if you're a believer, these things can't come forth because bitter and sweet water can't come from the same fountain. If the Holy Spirit's on the inside, it produces the life of Christ. And everybody said, I mean, that's a wonderful truth. That's a wonderful principle. And it is very true. But we are not in any way, in any way, I can't, at least I haven't found the scripture for us to just be passive observers uh, of, of the life of Christ being produced in us and us just being kind of doing our own thing or going our own way, picking and choosing what we want to obey and how we want to live. I don't find that anywhere in the teaching of Scripture at all uh, that we are to do that way. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we are to make our calling and election sure. Isn't that right? And we are supposed to pray for, for uh, continually. We are uh, we are, in a sense, we are partakers of this process. Uh, we are called upon very often to submit to things that, uh, that God has determined for us. Uh, we are to align our thinking with His thinking. We are to, uh, match, uh, our will with His will. Isn't that right? Uh, we are to begin to th- be transformed by the renewing of our mind. There are all kinds of things that are found in Scripture. It doesn't make us more eternal, uh, because we already have eternal life. I want to be clear, it doesn't, we're not trying to become more eternal, because if you're born again, you're born again, and if you have eternal life, you have eternal life. You can't be more eternal than eternal, right? You can't be more born again than born again. But God does not want us to be just passive observers of this process. He wants you to get on your knees. He wants you to be involved in the process because of the fall. The fall made everything difficult in this world. The fall brought sin and corruption and problems and wrong thinking, and it brought temptation, and all of that is still very much alive. And so when you become a believer, you become more of a target for the devil than when you were a sinner out there in the world. And even when you're doing good, you are misunderstood. Even when you're doing the right thing, Times can be difficult. Even when you think like, this is very clear what God wants me to do, the way can become quite narrow. Because Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way for the elect of God. And so therefore, uh, it's one thing to read this and stop there and say, oh wow, hey listen, if it's already automatic... You know, it's just like me not having to change gears. There's another, in my car, there's all, there's another mechanism. There's another, there's another process at work that changes the gears for me. I don't really need to worry about it at all. Well, we know the Christian life involves a little bit more than that. Now, let's just, let's just develop this thought just a little bit because I want you to get the principle clear. In Exodus chapter 10 and verse 3, Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, uh, God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. The, the, the plea that Moses brought to Pharaoh 
uh, because he was instructed by God, was to take the people out of Egypt, to take the people out of bondage. Now, this part's important, so I need you to just stay with me here during this part. And I know you are, but I just want to underscore this. That they were bound in Egypt. They could not just walk out. They had to have, they had to have a release to get out. They had to have the, if you like, the blessing of Pharaoh, uh, to be able to go. And that's why, uh, you know, Moses went back, uh, continually over there. And, and it was, and it was also, we could say, a warning before judgment because, uh, you know, God doesn't wait for permission from any man. Right? So he was not, he was not hung up because Pharaoh was uncooperative. But God was going to show his power in this whole thing, right? He was going to display his, uh, his glory and his strength and his power and his ability to, to deliver uh, the children of God. But Pharaoh kept refusing. Pharaoh uh, resisted the program of God. He resisted the will of God. And, you know, Pharaoh, as we know, felt like, uh, this is my call. And I'm refusing to do this. I'm, I'm not allowing you to do this. And he kind of felt like he would have had the last say. We know that's not true. Now, what I learned over this, uh, over this little study in myself is something about the word Egypt. And, uh, I, now, kids, isn't this true? Well, Lincoln, isn't this a part of the, the Prince of Egypt? It is. Uh, my, some of my grandkids, uh, said that tonight. Now, I, 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 uh, I found this image here, so I just wanted to put this up here as it was. And the word Egypt in our, in our English language, in our way of saying it, would be Mizraim. Mizraim. That's how you would say it. And there it is written in the Hebrew language. And Egypt actually means bondage. It is from, if you take uh, the derivatives down through, and remember now, these are ancient words, but if you take it down through, it means two things. One, a border of something. So the word Egypt represented a border that was set in order to keep the children of Israel inside their country. And Pharaoh wanted to use them uh, in order to accomplish his purpose, build his cities and uh, do all the labor and so forth, right? And so this border was a symbolic line that Israel could not cross, could not cross. And and this is one of the meanings of the word of of, uh, Egypt. The name also is, if we ran it down in the English uh, channels, it would actually mean straitjacket. It would mean bondage. So when a person wears a straitjacket, they may have the will to do something, but they don't have the freedom to do it. They may have it up here, but they don't have it down here physically because they are bound. So it's interesting that God would call this place, that he would send Israel to this uh, Mizraim, this, this, uh, place of bondage. And it, Egypt was known for this. And where it comes from is Genesis chapter 10. And the sons of Ham, which Ham was one of the three sons of Noah, their names were Cush, Mizraim, which is Egypt. And if you look in a, uh, Hebrew Bible, whenever, uh, he, uh, Egypt is mentioned, it is mentioned as this, Mizraim. So Cush, Mizraim, and Foot were all the three sons of Noah. Hang on to that now. We'll come back to that in a moment here. And so the, the name Mizraim is the original name give, given for Egypt in the Hebrew Old Testament. Stay with me now. This is our uh, principal point here. So if we go to Genesis chapter 10, and I've gone there for you, 
This is what it says. These are the three sons of Ham. Now, pause for a minute. If you go back and look at chapter 9 of Genesis, Ham committed a sin against his father. You remember the Bible said that he discovered his father's nakedness. And because he sinned the way he did, he was cursed. And when he was cursed, God said, you will become a servant of the servants. Now, that's pretty low, really, isn't it? I mean, to be a servant, to be in bondage is, is you know, a lowly position in society. But if you're a servant of the servants, my goodness, uh, hey, how many of you have been to our uh, summer house, the Biltmore Mansion over there? How many of you have been to the Biltmore? So com- in comparison, the upstairs place compared to the servants' place where they ate is quite different than the people who ate on the main floor, right, if you've been there. Now, can you imagine if you were a servant of the servants? Uh, I can't imagine that. Even in, even in a place like the Biltmore, uh, it would be, uh, you know, it would be pretty rough because you'd be considered quite low. That was the curse that was given to Ham after he sinned against his father. You will become a servant of the servant. So this whole curse of servanthood or bondage was given to Ham and his lineage. So remember now these curses hand down. Then it says, and the sons of Cush were uh, Seba, Havala, uh, Sabta, Rama, and Sabakta. You come on up and say these words. And the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan, and Cush begat Nimrod. Now, whenever God repeats something, uh, especially something in a short space, he's really wanting you to get the point. And the point about Nimrod is that he was a, say it, a mighty hunter. We find that in two verses here, it's mentioned three times, that uh, that Nimrod was actually a mighty hunter uh, before the Lord, wherefore it was said he was a mighty hunter. That is not a good term. Now, I'm not taking away from any of you that hunt, all right? I, <laughs> I'm smarter than that. I'm not taking away from that at all. But Nimrod had the attitude uh, of a person who was... Uh, not a shepherd and not somebody who cared for the animal. He was somebody who killed it for his own purpose. And so this, this phrase in the Hebrew is not a good phrase. That's written about uh, Nimrod. And God wanted us to know about this in this way. Now, Nimrod became this mighty hunter and a mighty leader. And we know he went on to build the Tower of Babel and so forth. And this was what was in Nimrod. He, he didn't want to be subject to God. He wanted to have his own way. He wanted to build his own tower to avoid judgment. When God makes a king, this is what it looks like. Second Samuel chapter 5. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. And also in time past, when Saul was king over us, Thou wast he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel. Thou shalt be a captain over Israel, a leader, a prince over Israel. So you're not to be a, a Nimrod over people because I didn't make Nimrod a king over, a leader over my people. I didn't ordain that. Everybody clear? God didn't send Nimrod out to build a tower. That was Nimrod. And Nimrod did it because he, he was a controller and he was a guy who had another agenda here altogether. But when God made a king, he said, I want you to take care of my people. I want you to feed my people Israel. I want you to be a captain. I want you to be a leader to them. 
I want you to be one who's not afraid to go first. I want you to be one who's not afraid to, uh, you know, submit yourself to the needs of the people and uh, work with them and uh, lead them to where they need to go. That's, that's a very important principle that I want you to uh, uh, practice. And this is what God said, uh, you know, to David, because they're quoting this. The Lord said uh, unto thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel. And so all the elders of Israel came to, uh, king, uh, to, uh, came to Hebron, and they made a league, and of course then they made David a king. Now, the people recognized that David had the, the, uh, the nature of a king in him, not a, not a Nimrod, not a person to be feared. Not a person to be, uh, you know, who was a, uh, a dictator over them. A person who wanted to make them servants to do his will. David was not that kind of a person. And the people recognized that, that he was a man of God. And so therefore, I want to say this to you this morning, or this evening, that anything, anything that keeps you from your potential... And anything that keeps you from your what God intends you to be is your Egypt. It is your Mizraim. Because Egypt, uh, by definition, bound the children of Israel from going back to the promised land. They were never going to become what God intended them to be in Egypt. They were going to have to go back to the land. The problem was this border of Egypt that held them back. So don't think of Egypt as a place. Think of it as a thing. Because the problem of Egypt still exists today. You look at somebody who is bound by pornography. They're bound by looking at images on, on the internet or, uh, you know, lust in, a, in an extreme way. Look at that. They, they, are, they have an Egypt. They have something that binds them and holds them back from becoming what they really want to be. They may even be married, but they, they struggle with trying to be a normal husband or a normal wife, normal partner, uh, because their minds are so twisted and polluted with things there. It's in Egypt. It's the thing that holds them back. Do you understand that Egypt still exists today? There are people who are in financial bondage. There are people who are in the bondage of pride. There are people who are in bondage to, uh, you know, to dictators in the world. There are still, I would like to say this, there are still many Egypts today. And you probably know your little Egypt that you deal with. The thing that holds you back. Now remember now, these are good people. They're just in a place that did not let them go. <clears throat> Even to the point where, in Genesis chapter 46, when Joseph is the second in command to Pharaoh, let me explain this first, and they've run out of food in Israel. And so God is using all of this to bring Jacob and his family down into Egypt. But Jacob knows, man, Egypt is not the place to go. Why would I want to go in the bondage? Why would I want to go in the Mizraim? Why would I want to go to a place like that? And God has to actually tell him this verse of Scripture. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And after, and, and he said, I am the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt. For I will there make of thee a great nation, and I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. 
And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Glory to God. Jacob knew enough that to go down into Egypt was not the place to be. God made promise to Abraham in the promised land, right? And so why would I go down there and put myself into bondage there? But God said, no, I'm going to use all of this, Jacob, and I'm going to turn your family of 70 into a multitude that if you look up in the sky and count the stars, he said, it's impossible. You won't be able to uh, be able to count the seed that comes from uh, this offspring that's uh, going to come forth out of Egypt down here. You get my point. That Jacob knew enough, and he did not want to venture down there. Now, we've said many times that for a Jew, Israel is the boundary of the promised land, isn't it? It's where God blesses them. You've heard me say that many times. That that is the place of blessing for a Jew is inside the boundary of the promised land. Get in there, and I'll bless you. If you stray outside of that, you're going to be in trouble. But get in there, and everything, God will, God will be with you and do things, Right? So for us, the same is also true, that our promised land is not a physical country or a physical place. It isn't a physical building. It is the Word of God. And if we stay inside the boundaries of that, we'll be blessed. You know, and I know, it's when we get outside the boundaries of this, that's when we get in trouble. And if you're not careful, you can get outside the boundaries of the Word of God and find yourself in Mizraim. You can find yourself in a place of bondage where you cannot get free. Now, a lot of people think they can. A lot of people think that, uh, you know, that uh, I can handle this and I can handle a little bit of sin and come to church on Sunday and I can handle a little bit of this. But they find out that Satan is a little bit sharper. He's a little bit smarter than most of us. And so, therefore, we never want to get ourselves into the place of bondage by virtue of disobedience. But there are times when all of us find ourselves in Egypt. As a matter of fact, if you'll think in your life a little bit, you'll find there are some things that seems like you can't get shed of. There are some things in life that you really can't seem to break loose of. And I'm here to tell you today that God knows all about that. And you don't have to remain that way forever. Just like God said to Jacob, when you go down there, don't you worry. I'll go with you. I'll be with you in that land. And I will one day bring you up again. I'm not going to leave you in that place. I'm not going to leave you in that place of bondage. I'm not going to draw a border around you and leave you to die in there as a, as a failure instead of an overcomer. I am going to be with you and I'm going to bring you out. Thank God that's the same God that we serve tonight. Because he doesn't leave us where we are, but he's mindful of our cry. He's mindful of our need and he does still have the power to take us out of whatever Egypt you find yourself in. I think that's a wonderful Way to start this. And then he said, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. That refers to uh, his death. Because when a person dies, very often their eyes are still open. And uh, somebody would come in the old tradition and close their eyes and put their hand on their eyes and close them. And uh, he says that Joseph will do that. Joseph will be there at your death. And you're not, in your lifetime, you're not going to walk out of Egypt. You're going to be uh, carried out of Egypt and you'll be buried with your father Abraham. Uh, but he said, that's how long it's going to be. This is not a quick process. This is a, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, a thing that's going to go on for years. Hey, listen, folks, they were the promised people, right? They were, they were the chosen of God. They were, Israel, the apple of his eye. Isn't that right? 
So don't think that this this whole principle uh, would not happen to me. It's not just a passive thing where, hey, if it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, everything is automatic, and I can live whatever way I want, and I can listen to whatever music I want, and I can date whoever I want, and I can flirt with whoever I want, and I can, uh, you know, watch whatever I want on on the internet or whatever else. I can live whatever way I want to, and pretty soon people find themselves in bondage with that kind of an attitude, and then all of a sudden they're crying out to God, Lord, bring me out of Egypt. Come on, folks. God allows, God allows certain things to happen in our life in the same way that God allowed certain things to happen here because he wanted to show his power and his greatness and how that they knew they could not break out of Egypt on their own. They needed a higher power. And God set it up. So that, hey, when they turned to God, the higher power was there. And they, they were eyewitnesses of God's strength and God's ability to deliver them out of the bondage of Pharaoh. In the same way, let me tell you, saints of God, when we cross over onto the other side, it will not be because we got ourselves out. It will not be because we delivered ourselves by our own strength. It's not because we finally figured it out. It will be because he has delivered us from the bondage of this flesh. He has delivered us from sin and death and everything else. Potentially, we have it already on the inside. Potentially, we already have it by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But one day, he's going to complete that process, that process that you can't do, and that is to change your body or to deliver you through the grave uh, into that kingdom or to bring you through the change. Uh, that's something that God's going to have to do. If we could do it, we would do it now without all that uh, process. But uh, God says, I'm going to... I'm going to mold character, and I'm going to build something in you that you'll never forget because you'll experience it yourself. And so what God is actually saying is, let my people go to become what they need to be. Let my people go that they might go to where they need to be. I hope that makes sense. Brother Branham, when I began to look uh, with this principle in mind, with that uh, set of glasses on, I began to look in the scripture and in the message. I found so many different places here. Tonight, Brother Branham says, in the message called The Power of the Devil, maybe a cancer has conquered you. Maybe something else has taken a hold of you. Some disease, even the disease of sin, whatever it is. Stop. Let me tell you, some of us find ourselves in bondage because of our own disobedience, because of our own attitude. Some people find ourselves in bondage because of a trick of the devil and a trap he sets for you. It has nothing to do with your disobedience. It is God's way of of building character in us and God's way of uh, dealing with us because nothing happens to us by chance. Do you agree? Nothing happens by chance. So in other other words, some way or another, God's going to use everything you're going through to teach you something you didn't know before this all started. And God is very good at that. Sometimes God will answer prayer in ways you didn't expect. Sometimes God delays. And in that delay, character is actually formed. But that's God's method of teaching you and buildings or molding something in you. So here's Brother Branham saying maybe a a cancer has conquered you. Whatever it is, it may look dark and gloomy to you now. may look like you'll never recover. Maybe look like you won't get over TB. And there was no cure for TB uh, back then. There is not any now. Prostate trouble, lung trouble, whatever it is, that tumor, crippled condition. The doctor may say every hope is gone. But standing right by your side tonight, are you hearing me? Standing right by your, here's Brother Branham saying it looks like something's conquered you. It looks like something's got you bound. 
There's a border around you that, uh, you know, has, has got you trapped in here. And he says, the doctor says this, every hope is gone. But standing right by your side tonight, ready to take you in possession, stands the eyes of faith who sees the victory yonder through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And away with Satan and his gloom and up with faith in the Lord Jesus, the faith of Almighty God. Brother Branham often used this language, and he often said things similar to this. Now, I hope you're understanding the point, but I want to drive it home just a little bit further here. Because this whole idea of going down into Egypt in their day, in their day, was a dangerous thing. It was something you didn't do, because if you went down into Egypt, you were pulled into that, and very often you just couldn't leave as freely as you came. It was a place of bondage. So we find in another, uh, in another place, and just hold on before, you, uh, before we look at that. When Abraham, listen, when Abraham went down to Gerir, which was in Egypt, and he was avoiding the famine, he feared as soon as they spotted Sarah, that beautiful younger woman, because he knew the Egyptians were the type of people that would kill you if you were married to her or related to married to a real nice looking girl. Life was not as special to somebody who was in Egypt. And murder was a kind of a way of life. They had a very low they had a low, very low regard for life. And so Abraham knew he knew that listen, if they find out that I'm your husband, they're gonna kill me. So say I'm your brother because I'm gonna try to save my life. I know these people. I know what kind of people they are. And so Abraham arranges this with Sarah, and <clears throat> Abraham saves his life in that process of doing that. Now, God comes down and straightens it all out and takes Abimelech and turns him around and sends Abraham back and so forth. And they give an offering, and off he goes, and you know the rest of the story. But the point is, is that when Abraham got down there, he knew he was operating by a different set of rules because this is not the promised land where they live by the word. This is a place where they live by their own rules, and their own rules were quite different than the ones. Hey, folks, if you feel like uh, you can go take this message and, and backslide and go out and live in the world and live by the rules of the message out there, you're in for a rude awakening because the rules they live by out there are not the same ones they live in by over over here it's really quite different and i'll tell you what you're better off taking my word for it than going out and experiencing believe me they live by a different set of rules and priorities outside and to be outside today without the presence of god to me is a scary thing so therefore when a stranger came into egypt He was subject to the lifestyle that Egypt had. But watch now how God dealt with the stranger when he came into Israel. When the stranger arrived in Israel, let's say we turn it around, and Abraham and Sarah were from Egypt and they came into Israel. This is what the Bible says. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, And thou shalt love him as thyself. Hey, yes, folks, look on the board. This is Old Testament. This is not Jesus here. This is not Dr. Dobson here. But he says, if a stranger comes in, you treat him like one who's born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. See what he does? He reminds them. You guys know what it's like to be delivered. You guys know what it's like to be living in sin and need God to deliver you and bring you out of bondage and set you free. 
Don't ever forget that. And you can demonstrate that every time a stranger comes in your midst. You need to love him as yourself, as if he was a member of the church. Hello? Did I read that right? Thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. That's not the only place that says that. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, listen to what it says. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. In Exodus 22, it says, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. God continually reminds the children of Israel that in our land, we do it different than when you're going to Egypt, going the other way. When a stranger goes there, Abraham's fearing for his life. He said, because you know what? They're going to cut my head off. They see how pretty you are. But when a stranger came into Israel, he was to be loved. Strangers. These are people that are not one of us. But they come in among us, and we should love them. In other words, we should show grace and mercy to them. It doesn't necessarily mean if somebody comes in here and wants to smoke, we're going to encourage them to smoke. Certainly not. But we, you understand what I'm saying? We're going to extend grace to somebody. We're going to include that person. We're going to bless that person. We're going to uh, tell them about the truth. We're going to show them the light that we have. We're going to demonstrate a, a kindness to him and a grace, graciousness to him. Uh, don't you think that, that would be appropriate if somebody, a stranger, come in? A lot of times we think, well, if he's not in the message, we don't want to have anything to do with him. And I'd like you to show me that in the Bible. Can I go where I probably shouldn't go and say this? If that's how we're supposed to treat treat strangers, how in the world should we treat each other? Whoa. Whoa. If that's the way we're supposed to treat strangers, then do we say, all right, these two guys... Have a different kind of haircut. We're going to do something and leave them out. And it doesn't matter what they think or how they feel. We're going to leave them out. I got news for you. Strangers got treated better than that in the Old Testament under law. Oh, but we think, oh, you know what? In our case, it really doesn't matter. I'd like you to show me that in the scripture. Thou shalt love them as thyself. No wonder Jesus went back and picked this up because this is the principle that God wanted to show them because it's the first, listen, it's the first teaching where the stranger was to be protected. Let me tell you, they're the only culture on earth in the history of mankind who was ever commanded to love the stranger. Think about, think about Nazi Germany. Hitler targeted people who were not like the Aryan race, Right? If you're not like us, if you're not tall, blonde-headed, blue-eyed, and so forth, if you're not like that, you know what? We have no time for you. We are going to we're going to incinerate you. That's how he viewed that. Let me tell you. Let me ask you. Where does that spirit come from? It's the complete opposite, and those spirits are still in this world. Those spirits are still around. Where if somebody's not like us, or they don't, you know, they don't believe like us, or uh, whatever else, and even even people who are supposed to be united by believing the same message, and might even sit in the same church, 
and say, well, you know, you're not like us or whatever else, and we're going to exclude you. I find that contrary to the Scripture. I'm just, I'm just saying what the Scripture says. And we find it repeated over and over again. Because God was simply teaching them that a person as a human being deserves a certain kind of treatment because, you know what? I made him. And he's worth something because I allowed him to exist. He has feelings. He has, uh, he has emotions. He has the same needs as everybody else. He just happens to be born outside. And so, therefore, he's come into your land. Now, you have a responsibility to treat him a certain way. He says in verse 35, You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in metyard, in weight, or in measure. And that is in business, in your dealings with each other. We don't cheat each other. We don't rip one another off. We don't hollow out the bottom of our uh, stones that we put on the scale uh, just because we're we're trying to rip off more money here. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin, ye shall have. These are all terms related to business. And I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of where? You know what it's like to be in bondage. You know what it's like to be cheated. You know what it's like to be having things taken away from you. You know what it's like uh, to be excluded. You know what it's like to be alone. You know what it's like to be isolated. You know what it's like to be wrongly accused. You know what it's like to be in bondage. And God says, don't ever forget it. When you deal with each other, he says, deal with, with each other in righteousness and fairness. And he uses the word love. Just saying what it says. Paul takes this over into the New Testament. And he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto unto bonds. He says, but the word of God is not bound. Even death couldn't bind Jesus. Even death couldn't hold him back. Even the, the misery of Mizraim could not hold Jesus in the grave. But, but there is a power that's greater than all of that. And our God is able to deliver. And Paul says, even if what I preach is misunderstood, even if what I preach is not acceptable uh, to many people, he said, even if I'm considered uh, an evildoer and I suffer trouble as a result of it, but the word of God is not bound. You know why? Because the word is God. And the word was made flesh amongst us. And that word still lives. And so therefore, there is a higher power. No matter what bondage you find yourself in, there is a higher power. And Paul says, don't ever forget that. No matter what they say about me, and no matter what bondage you find yourself in, and no matter what trouble exists in the world, there is a power that cannot, will not be bound. And you need not to worry. You just need to go to that power. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's why we preach Christ. That's why we preach salvation. That's why we preach the absolute of the Word of God, because that's the thing that's going to deliver you. It's not Brother Barry that's going to deliver you. It's not counseling that's going to deliver you. All of those things are good. There's, there's, uh, there's one power that is unconquerable, and that is the power of Christ. That is the truth of God's word. Because even Jesus said in John chapter 8, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so therefore, Paul says that word is not bound. So not even death itself can hold us. 
The whole idea of this bondage is represented in the land of, of Egypt itself. Now, here's Brother Manning again, 1964. He said, that's all Moses needed was the word. That's all you need today. It's not a credential from some church and a denomination to back you up. You need the word to take the rapture with it. In order to get out of here, you need to have the word because the word contains rapturing faith. Do you believe that? You don't need some credentials, some long history of some school to be healed this morning. Uh, you need to accept the word. That does it. God will prove his word to be so every time that it's received in the right ground. And that's what you're needing is his word. He proves he keeps it. You can rest assured that that is right. Now, it's true that Satan will try to, if, if the doctor tells you, hey, you got a disease and it's incurable, there's nothing else we can do. Uh, the devil right away comes along and says, well, you know, I'll pray, but the doctor already said that I can't be healed. And the devil is simply trying to put you in your own little Egypt and make you feel like you can't get out. And then on top of that, he'll throw taskmasters in there, right? Symptoms and, you know, cause you to... Or something happens in your past. And, uh, you know, it gets rooted in there and gets rooted in there and finds a resting place in there. And it's there for years and years and years. And people, uh, you know, they, uh, in, in a sense, they, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a part of their fabric, if you like. And I'm not, I'm not making light of it, not at all. But many times, many times, people fail to press into a place of deliverance because many times the devil will convince them there's nothing we can do to reverse that. And you know what? There's a truth to that. We cannot say that things did not happen to us in our past, but we can say that through the grace of Christ, They don't need to rule our thinking today. We can still obtain the victory. Even though we cannot erase the past, we can obtain the victory and we can be an overcomer. God doesn't want you to live in defeat. And God doesn't want you to live in fear. God doesn't want... Hey, listen, folks. God did not want them to live in Egypt forever. It was only... He said to Jacob, don't be afraid. Go down and I'll be with you when you're there. And I'll bring you out with a mighty hand. Don't you worry about it all. Even when you're dead, I'll bring you out. Because Joseph's going to lay his hand on your eyes. But I'm going to bring you out with a mighty hand. And don't you worry. Let me tell you, saints of God, no matter what you go through, even if you think, well, uh, God would not... He would not be mindful of me. And I'm sitting here in a message church and nobody really knows what my life is like and the things I'm up to. Let me tell you something. There's one who knows... There's one who knows, and what you need to do is appeal to him, and you watch what he does, because he said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He'll bring you right out of that place. Let me tell you a little testimony, and I'm, 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 I'm swaying here a little bit, but let me just say this, that in 2010, 2010, I think it was, 2010, I was slated to go to Mozambique, and, um, and, uh, I was, we were going to minister over there, and we had all of our plane tickets done, everything. We were just a week or two away from doing that. And in order to get into the country, we had to have a certain uh, a certain uh, health requirement, and there had to be certain tests done. And one of the things that they needed to do on me was a uh, TB test. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I couldn't remember... Uh, I couldn't remember ever having had one of those. Well, I mean, naturally, I went and had, had a TB test done. And when I did, it, it, it blew up. It blew up like a balloon on the July 4th holiday. And I didn't even think that that was significant, but I had this scratch test done and went in. And when I went back to the doctor a day later, or however it was long, I went back and showed the doctor. I said, wow, yeah, that thing has really grown. Because they take those little rulers out, they measure the size of that bump after so many days. And mine was, you know, as big as a hockey puck almost. And they all, they all did this. They kind of looked at one another. And I will tell you something. 
those nurses cleared out of that doctor's office faster than a deer in front of the headlights. They were gone. And I was sitting in the room by myself. Pretty soon all the patients that were in that room were gone. And then one of the other nurses who came by said, uh, through, the, through the glass window, said, if you don't mind, go to your family doctor right now. Go to your family doctor. I'm, hey, all right, I'll go to my family. I, didn't, I had no idea. So I get in my car, go to my family doctor. Family doctor looks at this and just blows the whistle. And I said, Doc, hey, listen, a couple of days I'm scheduled to go to Mozambique. He said, you're getting on no plane. I said, what do you mean I'm getting on no plane? He said, you're, you're not allowed. He said, you're not even allowed to be out. And they went through all of this process that they called in the public health department in Virginia and all the other uh, parts of it and, and uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, all the resulting tests that they did and everything else. They, they concluded I'm, I had something. They knew I had something. And they concluded, well, uh, he, may, he may not have TB, but he might have TB, so we're going to treat him anyway. I had to take five antibiotics every day. And besides that, they didn't trust me because if this indeed was TB, it was a communicable disease. In other words, if it got loose in the community, it's highly contagious by coughing and so forth. It could get in the community and uh, there's no real cure for it. And so it could destroy all kinds of people. And so they did cultures in my throat, did all kinds of of, uh, supplementary tests. And so they gave me uh, five antibiotics a day. And the antibiotics were so strong that they gave me an anti, anti-antibiotic in order to keep me, uh, keep me functioning. They sent a nurse every day to sit there at the table and watch me put that medicine in my mouth. They were not going to trust me to ask me if I took it. I needed to have a witness to take it, and they would sign off. I was one of the first people to wear a mask. You people think that you're, uh, you're, ma- you're good mask wearers. I was a mask wearer in 2010. I had to wear one everywhere I was except outside of my house. People couldn't come and visit. All kinds of, all kinds of things related to the story. And so eventually, uh, make, make a long story a little longer, uh, I, I eventually uh, told my doctor and they found, they discovered they did cultures on me and they found out that I had this uh, strange and, and peculiar kind of a growth that was on the inside. That's what they diagnosed in the lab. And my, my doctor, who was an expert, he was a, I eventually wound up going to this specialist, Dr. White, and, and uh, he was uh, the expert in our whole area of Virginia. He had to look up in the book, in his medical book, what it was that I actually had. When he read the lab result, he, he had to look it up in the book because he'd never heard of it before. Now it's more common, but back then he had to look it up. And so he threw all kinds of medicines at me on top of the other medicines that I had was already taken. And it was a really rough time. Hey, folks, I, uh, for the, you, some of you who were here back during that time, uh, there was a little season where I was not here at church and so forth because it was deemed to be a health risk. And, uh, hey, it was pretty scary. It was scary for me. It was scary for my wife. It was scary for uh, our family. And, uh, you know, the boys will remember. And it was just a tough time because we kind of, there's a lot of things about this we didn't know. Sister Judy Dilling was here during that time. She was a public health nurse, and she was a really, really big help uh, to us during that time. But there was a lot of uncertainty. I'm telling you this for a reason. And after a while, I found out, in my research, I found out about Jewish National Hospital up in Denver. And they were experts on respiratory care, respiratory diseases. And so I told my doc about this thing, and he investigated it and so forth. And he got me connected. And so I flew out to Denver, and we went out there. And uh, I was with Dr. Gwen. Uh, Dr. Gwen, I'll just say that much. And she's still in practice. And she was the nation's expert 
on this particular type of airborne disease outside of TB. You have a line that's drawn. You have two diseases over here, TB and leprosy. All the other respiratory diseases that are related to the lungs are over here. And so this Dr. Gwen was an expert in this, and she treated me herself. And uh, they did all kinds of uh, fancy x-rays and scans and samples and cultures and everything else and did it all. And all of that was showing positive. Then one day, one day, the brothers... uh, People were texting me. People were wondering how I was out in Colorado and so forth. And uh, I was supposed to be out there for two weeks. One of the brothers in, actually in Lithuania, contacted me. And he said, hey, I heard you were in the hospital in Colorado. He says, what's going on? Uh, what's happening? So I, I took the time to explain to him what was happening and what, what they were finding in me. And... Uh, I, I went down through all the details and told him what was going on. Well, he was so moved by that. He took that text that I sent, and he just, he just put it on the web and sent it all over the world. Wherever there were believers, he sent that around. And this was after seven days I was in the hospital. And he sent that to everyone that he knew. And then people sent it around, people sent it around, and people were praying, and they were contacting my wife and telling them they were praying. Now, to say this, that the condition that they found in me was one that they said, if, 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 there, if you're to be cured, this will take a long time. It takes a lot of medication. It takes a, it's, it's in a sense, it's similar to TB. It's not TB, but it'd be similar to it. And, and it's not really contagious very much. You know, you just you need to deal with it, and it's a long process. And they even introduced me to people who had had it and still lived, and they were old, and they were telling me. They said, this is a really rough process to go through. And, you know, during times like that, you start to think all kinds of things. Well, will I ever get back to life normal? Will I ever minister again? Will I ever, because, I mean, the way that the devil is going to attack a preacher is through his mouth or his lungs or his something or other, because that's how he makes a living. And I, all kinds of things went through my mind. This brother took this text and he sent it all over the place. People began to pray. And they began to write back and say, hey, we're praying for our church is praying for you. We had a prayer meeting last night and so forth. Two days later, I went to see Dr. Gwen again, and she said, and I have the report. I should have brought it. I have the report where she wrote up two pages, and she let me look on the screen. I don't know if you were there we're in the room. Sister Becky and I were there in the room, and she took up the, the new scan. She wanted to do a new scan that day, and she put the scan up on the screen, and I thought, wow, this is it, and she brought in her attendants, you know, the guys that followed her around, and she had this report already written up, and she said, we have to tell you that we really don't understand this. But if we were going to teach a class on what a normal lung looks like, we could take your scan and use it in that class. She said, what we saw when you came here is not there. It's gone. It's completely gone. And there is no evidence at all that you have this. So we're going to let you go. We're going to let you go home. And I said, do I have to take medicine? She said, you don't have anything to take medicine for. It's completely gone. There is no evidence at all. And she said, if you ever have those symptoms again, you make sure you let us know, and uh, you can come on back any time. By God's grace, I've never come back. And she said, we, we've looked at your lungs this way, we've looked at them down this way, we've looked at them this way, we've looked at them this way, we've looked at them every way we possibly can, and we find nothing but normal tissue everywhere that we look. 
She said, your lungs are perfectly healthy. And I looked at my wife, and I looked at Dr. Gwen, and I said, so is that it? And she said, yeah, you just pay your bill, go down to the door, and by the, of course, that's the last bit of bondage that you have, and go down and, and pay the, pay the uh, bill down there and see the uh, treasurer or whatever it was, the, the you know, ch-ch. and uh, they said, and here's a bunch of medicine just in case you need it. So they gave me inhalers and they gave me medicine and stuff in case you need it. I still have that bag of medicine still on the top of my dresser at home, and I've never, by God's grace, I've never opened it, I've never used it. And every time I look at that bag, I realize, you know what? To me, Satan was trying to lock me into my own little Egypt and make me feel like there is no escape from this. There's absolutely no way you're going to get your way out. But somebody knew. Somebody knew. Brother Branham said, you need the word to take the rapture with you. He said, you don't need some credential, some history to be healed this morning. You need to accept the word that does it. And you know what it is? To me, it's simple faith. And I had all these people around the world who were praying for me because Brother Bram said you can't pray too much. And by God's grace, by God's grace, I believe he moved and opened up the Red Sea for me and we just walked out of there. And I've been thanking God ever since. Do you believe he's still able to do that? That's the same God that we serve. And that was 2010. Let me tell you, it was a tough ordeal. It was a scary ordeal because I thought, wow, I'm in this Egypt forever. I'm in this misery I am forever. And I, I, I can't get myself out. Dr. White couldn't get me out. Nobody could get me out. And Dr. Gwen couldn't get me out. She just, she just wrote up the report and said, we find this person with no pathology at all. He has no disease. He has no evidence of it at all. And uh, he came in with this. And now he's going out with that. And we're just going to let him go. And if he needs us again, here's the phone number. That's, that's exactly what she wrote on the report. I ought to get it for you and show you. And it was like God just said, that's it, that's enough, and open up the uh, waves of the Red Sea, and off I go, walking out. And singing, one of them, I'm one of them. Let's stand to our feet. God does not want you to stay in Egypt forever. God wants to set you free. Now, what I want to do, what I want to do, saints of God, is talk a little bit about the things that bind us, the things that hold us back. And we want to look at some specific examples here. We want to look at some specific things that all of us, uh, you know, tend to deal with. But I, I say that, you know, in a, in a, when it comes to natural healing, by God's grace, I, I, you know, I've come to uh, my years here and, uh, you know, I'm, I thank God for my health and, and strength and, and what I have. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, and I, I just I believe that is be just because of the grace of God, not because I've lived easy, but because uh, of the grace of God and not because I've always looked after myself because I, I put a lot of other things ahead of my health. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate God's grace in, in watching over me. And I say that to you because I, I believe that God watches over his people. He knows exactly what we go through. And, and he does not want us to live in bondage. He doesn't want us to live bound by things that you're that are holding you back from who you really are. God was not finished with me preaching. God was not finished with me working for the kingdom. God had other things for me to do. God had other places for me to go. God had other people for me to minister to. And, and uh, you know, God had uh, all kinds of plans for me that I didn't even know about. But Satan was trying to lock me into my little Egypt here. But God said, no, let him go. Let my people go. And let him become what I have ordained him to be. I don't believe that God's finished. 
I look around the room and I see some of you that have experienced the same kind of bondage in one way or another. It might be health, it might be emotional, it might be mental, it might be financial, it might be moral, whatever it is. But Satan, let me tell you, he's, he's, he's working day and night to try to bind God's people and hold them inside the walls of his superpower. And it may seem simplistic, but I'll tell you what. When God says, it's time, let my people go, God has a way of opening up the Red Sea for you and letting you walk free. And letting you get back to where you belong. This is not where we belong. This is not where we belong. This is not where we belong. We thank God for this and how we use it and so forth. But this is not where we belong. God wants you to get to there. And in order to get there, we've got to step out of our Egypt. When God opens the door, we've got to step out. We've got to be willing to go in faith and step out of the place that Satan would like to bind us in. Let me tell you, that same God still lives today. That same God still lives today. I'm amazed that you love me. I'm amazed how you care. I'm just blood I found in pardon. And my sins are washed. They're all washed away, all my sins are washed away. Sing it again now. I'm amazed that you love me. Oh, I'm amazed how you care through your precious I found pardon And my sins are washed They're all washed away All my sins are washed away Are you in F there, Matt? Put it in F if you will He He has forgiven me He He has forgiven me. Sorry. You think you know what you're talking about. He has forgiven me. And my sins have been washed from his memory. And by the blood of the Lamb of Calvary. again now yes he has forgiven and my sins have been washed by his memory and by the blood of the land If you would, bow your head before him tonight. And let me ask you this question. Every eye closed now and every head bowed. If you're 
If you're dealing with a little bit of Egypt in your life, something that's holding you back, not saying you're not a believer, not saying you don't have eternal life, but if you're dealing with a little bit of Egypt in your life, when we pray, slip your hand up to him and say, Lord, I'm depending on you to get me out of here. I'm depending on you, Lord, to set me free. And Lord, I thank you to allow Brother Barry to go down this little pathway for us that gives us a little ray of hope because I, I was being told by the, by the wrong spirit that there is no hope for someone like me. There's no hope for somebody who's bound like this. Just let the Holy Spirit, just let him examine your heart tonight. If you can relate to what I'm talking about, if you can understand a little bit of Egypt in your life, maybe in your thinking, might be something even handed to you by your parents. Could be a sickness, could be a fear. Many people are bound in their Egypt by fear. And there's walls of fear and layers of fear that are bound, that bind people. Heavenly Father, as we humbly bow in your presence, Lord, may we submit to you the great leader, the great deliverer, the great one who orchestrated the first exodus. It's the same one that's on the scene in this last exodus. Lord, every one of us deal with a little Egypt in our life. Whatever it is that tries to border us in. Whatever it is that tries to constrain us from moving on. Whatever it is that tries to hinder us from rising up. I curse that Egypt in the name of Jesus. And that same God that touched my lungs is the same God who's present here tonight. And you're a God who cares about what we feel You're a God who hears it when we cry. You're a God who counts every tear. You understand injustice. You understand what's unfair. You understand exclusion. You understand Satan's tactics. And Lord, we give ourselves to you now and we say, come Lord. In my little Egypt, I'm looking for you, Lord, to part the waters that we may leave, that we may stand proudly behind you and walk out on the dry ground. Lord, be the deliverer of these people that have their hands raised, Lord. And may, Lord, this thing that is bound them, may they be released from it in Jesus' name, that they may never have to suffer. They may never have to deal with those voices and those habits those things that recur in their lives. Lord Jesus, I give them to you now. I pray, Lord Jesus, for our church and ask, oh God, that you would break the powers of Satan that would try to bind our little group. Hold us back, Lord, from the promised land. Lord, I believe you have rapturing faith in store for us, more than what we know today. Because our bodies are still not changed. So, Lord, I believe there's more for the people of God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move, Lord, in a mighty way. That, Lord, you would just allow us to be able to stand fearless in the face of every enemy and every dark and evil spirit that would try to come against your people. Lord Jesus, I lift the people up before you. Lord, I pray you'd help us to make every service count. 
I pray, oh God, that you'd help us to come, Lord, in sincerity, with a passion for truth and a love for the Word of God and a desire to see it held as an absolute in our lives. I give you the people. I give you their needs, Lord. I pray, dear God, that you would look over those borders and see your people where they are trapped. And Lord, allow them to go free. May they dance like Miriam and those women danced on the other side of the banks of the Red Sea. And we'll give you all the praise and glory and honor and all the thanks we know in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. And we bless your name. We give you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I bless your name. I bless your name. I bless your name. I give you all.
I bless your name. I give you honor, give, give you praise. Thank you, Jesus, the truth, the way. I bless your Sing it as you go tonight. God bless you. I bless your name. I bless your name. And I give you honor.